Welcome to the Coffee with Cody podcast, a conversation series around race. Double up, three or four times, I ain't telling no lies, I just run it up. Never let a hard time have a was. Double, 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 double up. I ain't telling no lies, I just... Yeah. I ain't telling no lies, I just... In today's episode, we talk with Paul O'Ching. Paul is... My former neighbor, we grew up in the same neighborhood, literally a house away from each other. And though we went to different schools through most of our early years, we connected in a little in high school and more so in college. And today we have a really good conversation on race and his experience. And forgive some of the background noise. Uh, Obviously, it's not always perfect when you don't have a recording studio to do these things in, but uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with Paul and hope you do too. Thanks for tuning in. So just getting started, just uh, wanted to get a sense of kind of who you are, where you're from. So growing up, uh, I know you. I can see that you're there now where you have our video going, but how would you describe the community that you're part of growing up? And you can take that geographically racially, ethnically, however you want to take that is it's up to you. Um, well, you know, growing up, so I grew up in Southwest Michigan, um, as you know, and growing up here in Southwest Michigan and Bering Springs, it's been, I think overall, it's pretty, I think it's a pretty nice place to live, honestly, you know, for everybody that tries to ride it and everything, it's a fantastic place to live. Um, very culturally diverse. I mean, just on all fronts, at least in my neighborhood. Um, Racially, you know, there weren't too many instances. I actually was reflecting last night, and there were some instances where I saw other people that were also, you know, black treated differently um, than, say, how I was treated. And I really had to, like, do a lot of assessment last night but on the overall front um you know it's a pretty pretty good place to grow up um but i think a lot of it that i'm realizing now it's not that it never existed before it's just that it wasn't as out in the open or i was not as hypersensitive to seeing it um and by it i mean maybe like some racial biases um just how people treat each other on a subtle subconscious level without even realizing it uh maybe you know let me let me say this right so i notice like i've been going running a lot lately in the evenings now and something that i've never had to think about which could be different from like another community is usually when i'm running i'll wear a hoodie right um and just because like when i start running in the evening it's you know it's still warm but by the time i get home 30, 9 o'clock, it gets a little bit chilly outside. So to me, I'm just wearing a hoodie. And I, I often find myself thinking like, or even noticing that, you know, maybe like as a police officer, and mind you, the cops in our town, they're not, they're not crazy, right? They're not just going like run you over, you know, start shooting. Um, but it's still, I think at the same time, I found myself like with a reflex of sorts, right? Where, you know, I make sure to wave just, you know, they know I'm not trying to cause any trouble I got the hoodie on and, and I got the headphones and I'm running and you know, I try to like if somebody's coming down my way I found myself like moving to the other side of the street so d- different things that 
I'm, I'm realizing certain people, even to this day, probably did growing up, but um, just I was never aware of it. And part of it could be because maybe I wasn't looking for it. Maybe I suppressed it. Maybe, maybe I just did not want to have to address it with people who did not want to have a come to Jesus moment. So town is pretty nice, but like every other place, you know, has its own issues. So it's interesting. It sounds like as a result of all of what's happening recently, you've kind of gained this added level of sensitivity. And along with that, you have now a almost new burden of of responsibility that comes along with the color of your skin that you weren't aware of. And that's probably, it sounds like that's probably something that people maybe in different growing up in different backgrounds or different non-small towns or have had to deal with for well i mean it's not that it's not that i wasn't aware of don't, don't, don't get it wrong on that front what i mean is more like so let me give you just a perfect example so growing up you know maybe you never even knew it like just think about how and for the listeners that are listening i just want you to know like cody and i grew up like 10 seconds away from each other like if not less hey, your house right? is, my house is and literally so, right behind him like if you would go literally like two behind. houses behind him and he, that's where i grew up <laughs> exactly boom that's where you are and so even even still like having that connection coming from the same town um same neighborhood you know just around the same group of friends and everything it it's almost still amazing that the burden of being black was still prevalent right so coming up especially through high school every friday night my mom used to like do movie nights right with us um and especially when she went to like anesthesia school so she would do movie nights on friday night and each friday night it was like a movie based on like the oppression of black people right every single friday and so the and for her you know i think she made it a point to make us aware and not allow us because that's the other side i will say this i think growing up in a small town like this it's very easy to just be like well it's not happening here and it's not happening to me and my, my neighbors are, are great which in fact you know my neighbors are fantastic um it really wasn't happening to me but still to go out of the way and like make us aware that you know you're not always going to be in Berrien your whole life and um when you do come out of this town like you're going to experience things that you never experienced growing up so th that burden was always there and I think just kind of dealing with where a lot of people were dealing with it head on, right? And so the other thing was, um, I used to see a lot of my friends, a lot of my teammates, especially at school, right? Because they grew up in a town like 20 minutes away and they would literally get treated completely differently than I did, right? Based on the predetermined biases that people had just because of somebody's geographic location. And that was an issue in itself. So the, the, the issue I was dealing with is like, bruh, I, I am just like them. We have the same skin color. We have the same values. You know, maybe they express it differently or they express it in a way that you're not comfortable with or you don't understand. And I think that's a whole other thing about schools needing to hire people that look like their students to some degree. But, you know, they were treated differently because like maybe I was a little more quote unquote proper or um, I spoke the Queen's English, or I, you know, didn't really 
raise my voice at a lot of things. You know, I didn't get frustrated easily. So there are various things that were still happening, but at the same time, I still knew no matter how acclimated I could become, right? If I step out of the town, well, guess what? I'm just another black dude. So that burden was always there. Um, but in relation to like how people viewed me, it really didn't change a lot of things because like I was very aware. My mom went out of the way to make sure that all her kids understood like the world's gonna treat you a little differently. That doesn't mean you gotta like be gung ho and be like, yo, like, you know, here's a sign. But at the same time, she's like, you may not see it, but people will treat you differently, right? Can I give you an example? So, um, two summers ago, we went up to Mackinac Island, right, as a family. And as I'm sure you know, there's a part of Michigan where as soon as you cross it, ain't no black people up there, right? And I, I remember, it might have been Cadillac or something like that. And I remember we got up there and we stopped to get some food. Right? We just literally stopped to get some food. And as soon as we walked into the restaurant, I mean, you can see everybody's eyes turning. You can see people like having palpitations, sweating, like what's what's going on? I didn't think this morning. And it's just like, we're just hungry. We just want to get some food. You know, we, we literally have not done anything. So that's just, you know, to the point where the burden, I think, is always there. I guess it just becomes a matter of when somebody like me becomes aware of what's happening as a result of the system. I want to probe on that a little bit further because I'm just I'm I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of those people in in Cadillac or wherever in, in northern Michigan, you know, where there's a significantly lower portion of um anyone who's not white, to be honest. Um, you know, they're they're going about their day to day business and to be a little bit you know, fair to them. It's like, it's, it is definitely unexpected. So you can, I think you can understand a little bit about why people would turn. Um, but how, how do communities like that address? Cause I think it's a subtle, um, discriminatory type of thing that happens. Like, I don't think they were, they were meaning to be, well, I don't want to speak for all, maybe there was one or two that are racist in that crowd, but like, I don't think the intent of that group was to be like, Oh, look, there are people who are black. Let me look at them and make them feel uncomfortable so that they leave. So how, how does, how does a group like that potentially, uh, you know, cause that's, and that's a hard, I think that's one of the challenges in this dialogue is like, how does, how does, how do we address things like that where it's not necessarily in like malice, but it's happening? Well, I mean, I think just at the front and I can't speak for all black people, but at the front, I think there has to be the desire to actually want to address it, right? I think we have to first look at the fact that some people just, okay, some people just don't want to have to deal with it. I'll be honest. Some people just, it has nothing to do with them. They're not pressed about it. You know, uh, <laughs> they haven't picked a side. And those people, by the way, I think personally are the hardest to deal with. Because if, if I can't even tell, like, you're outwardly against me, now i got to spend time. What is the phrase? Well, how is it saying? I'd rather have a honest enemy than a dishonest friend. I'd, I'd, I'd rather know where you stand versus you not even being sure of where you stand. So 
And this is not that I'm calling white people enemies, by the way, in case somebody heard that and was like, ah, <laughs> no, um, but no, just, just, just to the point where I think for people that are in those scenarios. So I think in towns like that, in, in towns where there are less people who don't even have interactions with people of color, right? I think that's just the, the, the starting issue because you grow up your whole life not having those interactions. And I think that's kind of a tough one because it's like right, in the 60s and the 50s, they try to address that with integration. They try to integrate schools, they try to integrate towns. And a lot of people were like violently rejected. Um, so just has to be a willingness to want to learn. Uh, the next thing I would say is I think, and this deals more in the home than anything, I think a lot of parents, before that dialogue can start, right? I think a lot of parents need to take it upon themselves to like make that a conversation that need to have amongst their own family, right? Because if, check this out, like imagine, so this is where, not that I empathize with people who don't understand the plight of black people, but more so like I, I I think that if you come to me, so if you listen to this episode, or if you never had a lot of interaction with people of color, and then I walk into your town, I walk into a restaurant, there you are, boom. A few certain things needed to have happened before I can even open my mouth and speak. You need to assume that I'm not here to hurt you. You need to assume that you can feel safe. You need to assume that I'm just like you. But to make those assumptions, you have to have been in a habit of assuming what you assume with me with your neighbors. Because if, say, you walked into that restaurant with me, so the two of us walk in, what assumptions are popping into people's head immediately? They're probably looking at like, oh, like they're, they're and I'm, I'm assuming now, so this is a dangerous path, but I think the exercise is good. It's like, oh, who, what is this, you know, this is someone I'm not familiar with, they're black, oh, and then they go down those, unsafe blah 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 tangents and then they're like oh but he came in with this other guy who has blonde hair and blue eyes um like he's probably fine and then like because i'm there like all of a sudden you're like fine which is which is which is crazy and that's why i'm saying like a lot of those things have to be addressed in the home before we can even have this conversation with other people and so a lot of those conversations need to start having at home, but if people are not willing to have it with their kids, because think about it, how crazy is it that essentially you're going to train the younger generations to start thinking in a certain way so that they make the assumptions you're making as an adult about me? I, I try to go out of my way and make all kids, regardless of like race, feel like they're the most important human being in the world. If I'm at the store and a kid is staring me down, I'm going to hit him with the, hey, how you doing? Make a funny face. You know, if I'm running and a kid is like on their bike and be like, what's up? How's it going? Yeah, you know, stay safe. Anything. So those kids are having those interactions with me. And if they're going back home to like, you know, stay away from black people because you don't know what's going to happen. Now you're forcing them to be in a world where they don't know what to do and they're going to choose you because they don't know me. So those conversations need to happen. And then I think um, the third thing that would probably need to start happening is just like the acceptance of allowing people to prove themselves to you. 
for me as a black man, I always continually feel like I have to prove myself for correction. I used to feel like I had to prove myself to people just to be at the same level. Um, you know, I was listening to this uh, podcast where there were these gentlemen and they were explaining how, so there's three of them, right? One used to be a cop. Um, one was Eric Thomas. I don't know if you listen to the Secrets of Success podcast. So Eric Thomas has a PhD. Uh, one of the other guys has two masters. One of the other guys has a master. One of them has a cop and is like a multimillionaire. And then the white guy in their friend group didn't even finish college. And he said that he, he didn't finish college because he was playing sports. He got injured. So he went home. And he got job after job after job. And never once was he asked about whether did he graduate, whether or not his resume is up to date. They were just like, you have these skills. Come on over. There was a situation where Eric Thomas, Eric Thomas is a multi-millionaire. Like, he's very, number one speaker in the world. He was in the same scenario as um, somebody else. And he was explaining how he went to the bank to get a loan. And the bank denied him. And he had the same exact credentials as his white counterpart. And his white counterpart got approved. Right? So there's those automatic biases where, like, it does not matter um, what I do. There's just, people are going to make those assumptions. And this is where I, this is what I was saying earlier. I'd rather know, for example, I'd rather know somebody's outwardly racist because they've done me the courtesy of telling me where they stand. I don't have to guess. I know they're not about me. And I'll be like, either you have come to Jesus moment or you'll never change. That's fine with me. I get it. I, that's you. The people that are in the middle, I think, so for example, like in a restaurant like that, what we're seeing now versus maybe what we've seen three years ago is that there's no more just just hold on like a hurricane right a hurricane comes and people you know when a hurricane comes people are just like and you know in florida you just gotta wait till it passes you gotta wait till it leaves and i think a lot of people for a long time have treated those implicit biases like a hurricane where, you know, just wait till the protesting ends or just wait till they leave the restaurant or just wait till because I don't know how to feel, but I don't know how to not feel as well. So I'd just rather continue and go back to the way things were, because at least then I can deal with what I'm dealing with and not have to address it head on. I don't think there's anything I can say to people like that to help them understand that I'm not a dangerous person. In the scenario we talked about earlier, they make the assumption I'm not dangerous because I walked in with you. But if I walk in by myself, still not dangerous, they're still trying to make decisions about, do I need to run a 40 meter dash, you know, outside or like what's happening? Do I need to hold my purse? You know how crazy it is to like walk into a place and just see somebody clutch their purse? And I'm just like, what? What? do you need me to pay for you? Like what's going on? It's, it's insane. And those are the people like in that restaurant, you know, and people that are at the place in their life. I really don't think there's much we can do because on the flip side of that, I think those people, and I'm going to use an example that's going on right now that happened to me the other day. So I went to um, this little restaurant here in town. I was just grabbing some breakfast and I I walk in and, you know, just like a lot of people have been doing, right? So I know you and me, right? 
you're one of the few people who didn't like pick up their phone and be like, oh my goodness, bro, you know, I can't believe this is all happening. I'm so sorry you're going through. You've been aware to it, right? So a lot of people, I can see them just going out of their way to suddenly be nicer. Nothing's changed except the fact that you're not realizing racism is real. <laughs> you know, nothing's changed. I see people try to like empathize with me in, in the streets and I keep saying, no, go have that. Com don't have that conversation with me. I know what's been going on. Have the conversation with your people, with your family, with your loved ones, with your friends. They're the ones that need to hear it from you. I don't need to hear it from you. If you want to tell me something, just say, I'm sorry, right? Because if, if you have a family member die, you're going to tell somebody you're sorry. So just tell me I'm sorry that racism is happening and then go talk to your people. But anyway, so I walk into this restaurant and she, she starts to tell me that, and this is how I knew was the conversation was going wrong. She was like, you know, I completely understand um, the protesting. Like, I understand the, the protesting, but I prefer when it's peaceful and there's not a lot of noise. See right there, Cody? Those are people that they have now, and that's a big issue because you graduate from not knowing how to feel to I empathize with you so long as you do it this way. Do I support looting? I don't, right? Because if it was me in that position and somebody looted, if I had a store, I'd be pissed. I'd be upset, right? But do I understand why people are out on the streets rioting? Of course I do. I get it. I mean, I'm not going to be out there, you know, like burning stuff, but I get it. I understand 100%. And for this lady, she was like, she just cannot support the rioting and she cannot support um the looting and she cannot support this and only if people protested peacefully change could happen and i was like see that's the problem so after you go from feeling like eh, this person dangerous to like i get it and then you you add on like how the experience should be that's when there's another issue and so you know hearing this from her which i messed up because i should have helped her understand why that's wrong at least according to me but more and more people are starting to to be like that now so even having that conversation man i don't know when it's gonna happen i mean i haven't given up on hope but every day people give reason to find it harder and harder to hold on to well i think it's it's interesting because i think about if i'm honest some of my initial reactions um towards what was happening especially like in Minneapolis when they're burning like a target or something that has nothing to do with um, like the police officers or the law enforcement involved. And for me, my, my, my gut reaction is like, well, yeah, that's wrong. And I, and I still think that you should try to avoid it if possible. Cause it, it damages the community. And, but that's, that's a whole different thing too. But when I think about like when the little kid doesn't get what they want, and over time, like, what do they do? They throw a tantrum and it's, and, or like, even let's go like to a, another species, like a cat, when it wants attention, when it's not getting what it wants, it doesn't just sit there peacefully and say, like, it can sit to you, come up next to you. Like that's his first line. And that's the good, that's a good start. 
Like it comes up next to you and is like, hey, I'm going to sit here. I need attention because you're not giving me enough attention. If it doesn't get that, then it starts to meow. And then if it doesn't get that, then it starts to meow annoyingly. And I think that's kind of what's happened is the levels of frustration about not having the attention brought to the issues have 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 been suppressed and now are bubbling through and now there's kind of been permission across the nation for those pent up frustration to be let out and people are finally feeling like they can have a voice and it's just kind of culminating in a lot of a lot of the same thing you know to that point man like um one of my friends you know he's in an interracial interracial relationship and you know his girlfriend had posted a story well, I guess he's he's our friend. Um, and his girlfriend had posted a story, and you know I reached out to her and I was like, you know, it, it's like that sometimes. And, you know, she was going through like I just can't believe that he'd be profiled like that. They were going they were going to Canada for their Thanksgiving, and you know the girlfriend she'd done this crossing of the border many many times, and this was his first time. She's bringing him home for the first time, not his first time crossing the border, just bringing him home for the first time. And when, when they get to the border, the um, official takes both of their documents, looks at hers, hands it back, looks at his, and immediately turns to him and asks, have you ever been arrested for anything, for any reason? Right? And he's just like, no. But she's in the, she's in the passenger seat, furious and upset. She cannot believe and understand like what's going on. And he's like, no, just, you know, let it go. And she's like, no, you can't let it go. And he's like, no, nah, it's fine. And so just to your point, like, dude, it's like that, you know? I think for so long, even just on an individual level, we just continually have to repress different interactions. I posted, you know, my first experience getting pulled over on Instagram the other day. And the amount of people that responded in pure shock actually blew my mind. See, I always assumed when people got pulled over, at least back then, I always assumed for some reason, cops just like to come in troves to pull you over, right? For the listeners, when I got pulled over the first time I was 18, um, my taillight stopped working at some point that morning and apparently required the work of six officers to tell me where my taillight was at. Six officers and three with, you know, their hand on their gun ready for anything to pop off. And it's just like, I repressed it, right? Because I just had to keep it moving. Been pulled over for swerving on the road and all I've been doing is making a right turn. You repress it because you're like, I, I don't even have time to address how messed up that is because if I address it, people will see me as violent, loud, rowdy and I've been wronged and this one I just need the listeners to understand that if you find yourself in a position where you don't understand what's going on I just want you to flip the script for you so imagine every time you walk into a gas station every time you walk into a bank I have a bank story I could tell which blew it's gonna blow your mind um, every time you walk into any public place, it doesn't matter, right? And you automatically feel like if you don't control what you say, what you think, 
how you do stuff. Talking with your hands. Something could go horribly wrong. Yeah, it's interesting because I've had on some of the other episodes this conversation about how there's almost like there's different versions of yourself that have to happen, um, particularly around the the thought of you know your your race or your ethnicity. Um, Whereas you know, for me, I think I, I I deal with that, but it's not. It's more of a okay. What's the more outgoing or bubbly or funny Cody versus the professional Cody? And those two things don't really belittle one another, if that makes sense. Like it's it's a sure it's a burden that I have to think. Like I have this switching that I go back and forth, but it's not the same of like I have to be. I have to relinquish my identity as a Kenyan or as a as a Haitian or whatever. Um, like it's, I still get my identity as Cody, but one is just a little more, uh, like how I say words and how I present is a little more, I don't know. The professional side. Yeah. 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 So, and that's not like, that's not bad. Let me ask you a question. Have you driven from Michigan down to where you're currently live? Yeah. You ever done that drive? Yeah. I drove it when I moved down. At any point. Did you think on that drive there was a version of events where you would not make it simply because you're white? No, prob- probably. I mean, I, to be honest, it, like my th- because I'm white, it's like, and not because I'm white, but I think it's like, okay, if anything happens, like there's going to be fire department or police or whatever to help me, not the other way around. Let me say this. I, because I plan on coming, going down in like two, three weeks, and I've been delaying my trip, like literally pushing it back for the last month, because along the way, they're protesting and everything, right? And when I turn on the TV, so I don't know if you saw, you know, those the, that young man and that young girl that got like attacked in Atlanta and they were just like in their car whatever right did you see that or was it when the the officers came and they were just yeah past they came in and slashing they like their tires exactly we're really aggressive in it right so I keep thinking like holy crap that could be me and all I'm doing is just taking a road trip I'm not thinking how much is gas gonna be I'm not thinking um hmm, I wonder if I had to make a bathroom stop I'm not thinking I'm thinking like Will I will I make it? If I get pulled over along the way, I, bro, I hate doing road trips, right? Because, and I genuinely dislike road trips because I don't know what could happen to me if I, for example, get pulled over in the wrong state. Yeah, well, I, mean, I guess the worst that I think of is that like there are certain states that have a reputation for having more aggressive police officers in terms of pulling over. Like from in my mind, it's okay. I'm more likely to get pulled over for speeding in Georgia versus Tennessee. But like but like the worst that comes out of that for me is I pay money and I have a speeding ticket and I have to go to a online course to get this point removed or something. Like that's not that's not life or death. That's just inconvenience. Oh my goodness. I wish that was things I think about. But you know that's just to prove the point right there, right? So here are two people, same age, we come from the same neighborhood and yet we have two polarizingly different experiences doing the same thing 
And so for the person that's sitting there, like, I just need you to put yourself in those shoes and, and ask yourself, have you ever just considered, like, what would your life or how would you feel? Forget what would your life look like. How would you feel if you had to do something as simple as that? I always think about that. I find myself, man, where I'll go running late at night and I'll get back and I'll literally find my mom sitting on the couch waiting so that she can go to sleep after all her kids are safely within the doors. And it's just insane. So like for the listener that you find yourself wondering, if if you find yourself wondering, is it really that bad? I guarantee it is. It's a terrible way to have to live. Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think it the challenge in it is there's less overt racism in the country. There are definitely parts and and populations where it's it's it exists, but I think it's more predominantly a case of a death by a million paper cuts, where it's these un- unspoken biases um, and things that happen that force us to behave in not forces that that result in us behaving in a way that is discriminatory um and like i i have some of those narratives in my head as well that i still have to to work with is like when i like if i'm in a place that i don't know and i see some like if i see someone i don't know or it's it's dark and i can't identify a person i'm gonna i'm gonna be a little cautious but i think if i saw to be honest, like if I saw a black guy in a hoodie in that same scenario, I would still probably be more nervous than if I saw like a guy in a polo shirt. Right. And see, that that's where that, that thing has to be addressed, right? Because even in those scenarios, and I'm sure plenty of people like have those experiences, that same experience, like, yeah, being out past dark in a place you don't know is scary. But... If it's scary because it's scary and you don't know where you are and you're like, anything could happen out here, that's one thing. And I think that's okay, right? We're naturally instinctively like trying to protect ourselves. But if in a place you don't know, you're scared and you tell yourself, if this person that looks like this pulls up, that's when you have to start answering some questions. Because now you've taken a perfectly normal situation and heightened it with something. Because again, right? So I want you to do this. Put yourself in this scenario, except I'm the dude in the hoodie. I'm just running. I'm minding my own business. I'm in the hoodie. You know me though, right? So at first you can't really tell, but then you, you see me and you're like, oh, it's Paul. Oh, are you terrified anymore? No, it's the opposite. It's like, oh, I'm good. Like, it's Paul. I'll wait. Exactly. That, that's like, that's the point. So many people are making those like assumptions when you literally have no idea. Yes, the the crazy part is anybody could be in a hoodie and attack you. But I could almost guarantee most of the time the person in the hoodie might unfortunately be thinking like, yo, I don't even want to like mess around with anybody because who knows what could happen. I'm just out here minding my business. And I think it's the um it's the thought of well, it's better to be safe than sorry, like it doesn't hurt people if I think that they're like, if I take extra precautions around, but I think it's, it's the behavior of that times a million. I don't, I shouldn't say a million. That makes it sound like it's really dramatic. I guess a million over the course of a lifetime, maybe not inaccurate, but it's those behaviors multiplied 
that become dangerous. And then you multiply that not only by individuals, but by like a country and then by years, like hundreds of years. And then you get, I think the challenges that we're dealing with today is like there's, there's years times people times number of small biases that have created the frustration. Right. And, you know, in this present time, man, I think just in the reality of it all, right? So it's insane that it took watching somebody get killed on camera for nine minutes to finally be the straw on the camel's back. It's insane that's what it took. People had to sit there and for almost nine minutes realize this is not an isolated incident. You know how crazy that is? All that tells me is if somebody hadn't taken out their phone, do you think we'd be here today? Probably not. I mean, eventually I think it would have, it would have been, but it would, how many more people would have had to, to die or, you know, that kind of thing to like, what was the catalyst or what would have been the catalyst? And so now it's like that right there being the breaking point. That's why I need people to, even if you don't support protesting or rioting, just try to understand it. Seeing somebody like you, you're almost seeing like, I can't believe I'm calling it an act of war, but you're seeing something that most people do not see outside of like actual battle, right? That you've taken an isolated battle incident and continuously put it into regular situations. So now people are so triggered and, and black people in particular, like, they're like, this is it, right? If they hadn't like arrested those cops, man, it, things would have snapped. Because think about it, man. What people don't understand is if this whole thing was about racism, I could almost all but guarantee America would not exist. They, they would have burnt everything down a long time ago. All, all they're doing is asking like, yo, stop judging us like this and stop killing our brothers and sisters. That's what they're doing. And so that's where that frustration, man, like all that pent up anger, the examples you gave, man. And, and everybody feels it. It's a collective hurt and it's a collective repressed like bubble that no longer can be pushed together. Everybody's mad. Everybody's upset. And I think part of what I'm the goal of what I'm doing here is to hopefully provide a, a, a first glimpse or a start and to be able to empathize and understand um, the experience and like the, the why, because I like to, to go back to where we started in one of our early conversations is that that community in Northern Michigan that hasn't seen a black person in years, potentially, like how do they get started? Um, and, like, I think for me, one of the things is, you know, the internet is an amazing tool and hopefully, um, by sharing stories that are, and I'm hope to, my, my goal with this is to be unbiased and, and be authentic and help people to see like, this is a real thing. 
here's why I want you to understand. You may not feel that you're racist, and I don't think most people listening probably are, but you ha- there are systemic things and there are small habits and biases that we have as an as a nation that impact people's experiences and so it's important to acknowledge those and and just start by understanding and not start by assuming that you're not racist and have nothing to do or like you have no avenue to in to have an impact like there's lots that people can do even if it's changing small behaviors and be like okay i understand that this action i saw this guy on the street i saw he was black and i got more afraid than if i saw someone like just being aware of that, acknowledging it, being like, okay, that is a racial thing. I'm not racist, and I don't want to be racist, but I also don't want to be uh, have these biases and discriminate. So let me change that behavior. I think, and I think there's a very deep-rooted issue, too, in the way history is taught. Um, because... I could almost all but guarantee that at least if there was some version of history, right? Because think about it. We we grew up um, learning the same version of history for how many years, right? So me, a black person, just found out that the Black Wall Street was a thing because of a TV show on HBO. That's how I found out, you know, there was one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I could have told you all about Wall Street in New York, you know, from when I was four. And because we or historians who have a right to history textbooks continually does not make those things. So it doesn't matter. Right. It shouldn't be a scenario where somebody in a and if this brings your podcast some haters, brother, I'm sorry. I apologize, but they'll deal with it. Um there has to be a scenario that even if there's an all-white community, they should still be taught history of other people. Even in my own school that I went to in high school, never once. The only time they ever taught about other history is if you if you took world history, which is not a requirement, but U.S. history need you need it for graduation. And U.S. history is written in the way that, because history is written by the victors. It's never, whoever lost is not going to write history. So now it's like so much is lost that you don't even see people as the ability to win. And then what kills me is that if you go back and look at all this stuff that was written by, like, for example, the people that first went to Africa and came back and they were like, whoa. You know, those Africans got it going on over there. And they used to like, if we don't subdue the African man, the African man will take over. Right. And so that stuff is pushed over. And here's again, right, because I never once as an African certified have I thought mm, world domination seems pretty sweet. I never thought that. But that is pushed on to kids and people. And then it jumps from they want to take over to ah, we civilized the rest of the world and this is what we live in it's crazy how i'll hear people's arguments and they'll talk about well you know america's better at this which america's fantastic but at the same time if you refuse to at least address the history of other people it's never going to change 
I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think one of the greatest benefits that I have and is that I went to, I grew up in a community and went to schools that were incredibly diverse. And did I, did I spend tons of time in every single culture? No. Were there cultures that I probably, uh, and groups that I spent more time with? Sure. Um, but just having that understanding and that appreciation, it's the same thing with travel. Like when I go to another country and experience what happens there, I become better as a person. And so it's like, it's not even just like a case for it is like beyond just being a better, like person with, with race relations, you're just a better person overall. If you other, if you understand other cultures, because there's things And it's just the same thing with understanding other perspectives about issues, whether it's politics or whatever. It's like just mm-hmm. by understanding and experiencing it, exactly. or at least t- attempting to, you become a better thinker, you become a better human, and you can just make overall better decisions. Um, so I think that's a huge case. Um, and we got to start wrapping up here because I got to oh, yeah. get my hair cut in seven minutes. My bad. Oh, I apologize. I got no, it's, it's, it's been a good conversation. No, thank you. Thank you for bringing me on. I'm glad um, to have had this conversation. All right, Paul, I appreciate your time, your perspective, and hopefully the listeners do too. I don't know how to end because no, I no. haven't really come up with an ending yet. So, so it's hey, just kind uh, of like if a... you'd like to, if you'd like to carry on this conversation, you can, you could find me on uh, Instagram, on Facebook. Just look up my name. Or you just even put it in the show notes or something. Sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Just look up my name, my Instagram, whatever. Um, we talk about this a little bit on my podcast as well, Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. Check it out. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can find all my contact info. Just uh, people, be nice. Be nice to one another. That's what Ellen used to say back in the day. Just be nice to one another. Yeah. Be nice. Spread the love. And this is not a hippie podcast. (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Good to catch up. All right. I'll I'll see you on the internet. (laughs) Peace out, brother. Peace.